0: Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news! Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazoncom
1: slash lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of Acast shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is the Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. This episode of the Secret Library Podcast is brought to you by Scrivener. Get 20% off the desktop software by using the code SECRET at literatureandlatte.com. Welcome to episode 37 of the Secret Library Podcast. My guest today is Alexandra Franzen. She is a writer based in Portland, Oregon, and she's a published author whose projects include 50 Ways to Say You're Awesome, our Q&A a a day, a three-year journal for two people, and several self-published projects, including a novel called Milk and Honey, a love story, and a novel called So This is the End. Her writing has also been featured on websites like Time, Forbes, Newsweek, HuffPo, and Lifehacker, as well as in song lyrics on product packaging and stenciled onto fine art paintings. She's led writing workshops in 17 cities around the world, and one of her events was one of the 50 best conferences to attend this year. She also works as a ghostwriter and a writing coach and consultant. She's worked with tech companies and hundreds of small businesses and startups. She has a popular newsletter with a ton of subscribers, including me, and a website where she shares personal stories and advice on writing, creativity, motivation, and how to create a positive ripple in the world. She's awesome. So I had Alex on today, partly because very recently she made a decision with her most recent novel, So This Is the End, to release it for free with her newsletter. And I thought that was a really ballsy choice. So I wanted to talk to Alex about the process of writing both fiction and nonfiction, as well as different ways to dip your toe in sharing your work out in the world. So if you're nervous, you've got something ready, but you're not sure you want to go all the way to finding an agent, and looking for a publisher, or even just self-publishing on Amazon, this will give you a little bit of an interim step. So I think you'll really enjoy it. She's so inspiring, and it was a joy to talk to her. So let's hear Alex Franzen. Hey, Alex, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So I'm really pumped to have you because you, are, you also work with people as a writing coach as well as being a writer yourself, so I love your perspective. And you've also published work in a number of different formats and a number of different methods, the most recent of which I think might be the most baller move I've ever seen, which was you just gave your novel away before putting it on Gumroad. So I want to hear about the process of doing that.
0: Yeah. So I, I wrote a novel called So This is the End. It's more of a novella, I guess, because it's on the shorter side. To backtrack a little, I, I don't specialize in fiction. And I, I've only written one other novel aside from this. So this isn't like my main gig. It's, it's more of a side project or a, just a personal art project for me. About a year ago, I had this incredibly vivid dream. And uh, in the dream, I remember I was dead, but somehow doctors had been able to resuscitate my body, but only for 24 hours. So I sort of had this little extra bonus round to, you know, say goodbye to my friends, say goodbye to my loved ones, tie up loose ends, etc. And in that dream, I remember feeling Just this incredible, like, overwhelming wave of emotions, you know, feeling so grateful for this extra time, but feeling so frightened and scared that the end was coming, and this, like, bittersweet, you know, yearning for just a little more time and, you know, wanting to be with my boyfriend. I mean, it was the most, like, insane dream. And I woke up from that dream and I remembered, like, every detail, which almost never happens to me. Like, I don't remember any of my dreams. So after that, I immediately was like, this is a book, like this has to, I have to make this into a book somehow, and I I don't get those kinds of flashes of ideas like that very often, so I knew it was something that I had to dig into. I also like couldn't stop thinking about it, I kept thinking about that dream, I kept thinking about, you know, well what if that really was a thing that science could do, you know, what would I do with an extra 24 hours of life knowing that it was really the end, so I started to write the novel, then I kind of set it aside, then I came back to it, then I finally finished it. Long story short, I decided for, I think it was actually on my actual birthday, to just release the novel as a PDF, you know, simple PDF file to the people on my mailing list as sort of like a birthday party favor, to just put it out there, let them have it. Um, You know, I think in my heart, I was feeling a little bit like, does this totally suck, you guys? So I sort of just wanted to like toss it into the world and, and see if, other people would be as excited and as sort of emotional about this idea as I was. And immediately I got such an incredible response from people who, you know, downloaded the book, read it all in one sitting, you know, were crying and wrote me emails about how they left their job early to go run home and kiss their husband or whatever. I mean, like it seemed to really stir up something for a lot of people. And that was, you know, even just getting 10 emails that said something to that effect. Made me feel like I did it right. You know, I did a good job. This is a real book that is creating an emotional effect. And that was so exciting. So honestly, it was a, all of it. The whole thing was very accidental, very spontaneous. There was no, you know, master plan with any step of it. It was just something I wanted to do. It was a dream that wouldn't leave me alone. I felt like it needed to be told in, you know, a fictional story. And I'm I'm just so happy I did it. It was such a meaningful project for me last year.
1: I wondered if it was a dream because it was so vivid. And there were things having followed your newsletter and hearing little snippets of your life. I was like, I wonder where I wondered where the story came from.
0: Yeah, it was a dream, and like I said, you know, most of my dreams I don't remember, or if I do, it's like a dream about me like answering emails or something. It's very mundane. <laughs> so when I do have a dream that is, you know, vivid and sort of cinematic and and weird, I definitely try to pay attention because there's usually some kind of story or lesson in there for me.
1: So how was it sitting down and writing it? You know, it was it was
0: fun because I make my living as a writer. I I already spend a lot of time, you know, sitting at a computer or standing at my standing desk and just typing, typing, typing. But to switch gears from the type of, you know, ghostwriting and copywriting and editing that I typically do into writing fiction, it almost feels like going on vacation. Like I get to use my brain in a totally different way. It's a lot more free. Um, You know, for me, there's no deadline, no timeline. It's like I mentioned earlier, you know, working on this novel really felt like indulging in a guilty pleasure or like, you know, kind of giving myself a break in a way from my my typical type of work that I do. So I found it to be really fun. You know, I think it was also fun because I had such a clear concept from the very beginning. It wasn't like I was wondering, well, what's going to happen? Or like, where's the story going? Like, I sort of knew where it was going. And that that felt really exciting because that was actually... Not really the case with the first novel that I wrote a few years ago. That was much more like one chapter and then like make something up and we'll see where it goes.
1: So in terms of the process, so you wrote it and its format is very cool, which is, you know, this character has 24 extra hours because of this kind of miracle of science, I guess. And so each chapter is one of her hours and you get to follow her through the process. Was it clear that you were going to structure it that way from the beginning? Pretty much, yeah.
0: I remember, um, I think the day after I had that dream, I took my laptop, I went to my local Starbucks, which is like basically my office, and I got some coffee, and I sat in my favorite spot by the window, and I, the first thing I typed was just hour one. So like somehow it, it seemed obvious that this was going to be structured as 24 chapters, 24 stories, and I just kind of went from there. And what I found was that I remember I got kind of stuck around hour 20. It was like the book was almost done, but not quite. And even though I sort of knew how it was going to end, there were some elements towards the ending where I, I just wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what the characters were going to do. Uh, so I, I, that, I think that was the point where I set the project aside for probably like four or five months, and I just didn't even really look at it or open it, mainly due to just kind of time constraints and getting busy with other things, but also because I I wasn't really sure where it was going to end up exactly. So I, I feel like that's okay, and sometimes with a book project, you do have to sort of just park it and like go for a walk or take six months off or whatever. And, you know, sometimes that, that right idea just doesn't strike you in the exact moment that you want it to. So we have to be a little patient with ourselves, I think.
1: So how long had you been writing at that point when you set it aside? Had you been, did it like pour out in a, in a couple weeks or did you take a few months going through it? Yeah, it poured out really
0: quickly. Um, I, when I'm writing, I mean really anything but fiction included, when I'm in the zone it tends to come out really fast. But then I'm very likely with a fiction project to, like, stop, not look at it for six months, start again, and then finish it really quickly. So when I'm sort of in the groove, it tends to happen fast, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be continuous from beginning to end, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So once you got to the end of the first draft, what was the editing process like? Um, The editing process was basically I just started at the beginning of the book
0: and I started to read the entire thing through from beginning to end, sort of with fresh eyes. Um, In a way, it was sort of good that I hadn't looked at it much for six months or four months or so um, because I sort of had forgotten certain things. And it was a good opportunity to, you know, clean up little details that didn't make sense or timing things that didn't make sense. So I read it from the beginning and I really just went page by page. And for me, editing is like a combination of cleaning up typos, cleaning up, you know, straight commas, but also sometimes inserting a little more detail or a little more nuance or a little more explanation. So I kind of just polished one page at a time, uh, working my way down to the bottom of the book and then I sent the entire thing to a woman that I hire for proofreading, and I had her uh, proofread it, and then I sent it to another proofreader because I'm really obsessive about stuff like that. Um, and both of them had one or two kind of structural pieces of feedback as well, or something that maybe didn't make sense to them, or something like that, so they gave me a tiny bit of feedback, and then I read the whole thing again one more time by myself, and then I felt satisfied that it was you know, as good as it was gonna be, and my birthday was approaching and i was like all right i guess it's done let's see if this is great or terrible
1: <laughs> yeah so then you first put it out you know to the list and we could download it and now it's living on gumroad i'm curious about how you set it up to just download and the decision just put it out there it sounds like it was like okay check it out guys see what you think and then what was it about gumroad that felt like the right fit
0: yeah so gumroad for for people who have never checked it out or heard of it is just basically a website where you can i think it's about ten dollars a month or something like that it's very inexpensive where you can sell digital products of any kind so you can sell ebooks you can sell you know little videos you can sell audio files you know i use it sometimes actually when i'm selling uh, tickets for my retreats and workshops because I can have people purchase it through Gumroad and then they get a little email with the confirmation and a little digital ticket and all that good stuff. So it's just a really simple site and I've I've looked around at a lot of different e-commerce sites and some of them have been really complicated or some of them have been really expensive or just had a lot more features than I actually needed. So I've been using Gumroad now for a couple years and I'm really quite happy with it. Um, They also have great customer service and tech support. If you ever get, I sound like this is a commercial for Gumroad. It's not, (laughs) but but, um, I I do really love them. So after I released the book for free, um, I told the people on my mailing list, Hey, I wrote a book. Surprise. Here it is. You can download it. It's free for the month of December. So I kind of wanted it to be you know, like I mentioned, sort of like a birthday party favor, holiday gift, etc. Once the month was over, um, it just so happened that I was planning to kind of update and refresh my entire website in the month of January. So sort of as part of that website renovation, I decided to uh, load the PDF of the book into Gumroad and start selling it for five bucks in the shop that's on my site. And, uh, you know, again, there, there wasn't any, like, major strategy associated with that. It just intuitively felt like a nice, cool thing to do, you know, to let it be a gift for a while for the people on my mailing list, for, you know, for sort of the the longtime fans and followers and friends, and then to sell it later. So, yeah, it just felt right.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We haven't had anyone who's sort of self-publishing through Gumra. There's been a lot of people using, like, Amazon and other platforms, and... I like that this one really lives with your site. You know, it's a little trickier to find. It's not out there. So it seems like it's keeping it closer to your world, if that makes sense.
0: It does, yeah. So some of the books that I've done are available on Amazon, and some of them are not. And, you know, if I was more of a shrewd businesswoman, I suppose I would put everything on Amazon. But there is something about you know, there's a certain type of person, I think, that's drawn to my website and that likes what I have to say. And there's something kind of sweet and tender about keeping it almost like a little bit of a secret. Like, you sort of have to be in the know, you know, you have to go to my website, you have to go to my shop, you can buy it there. It's not on Amazon, where just anybody can leave a comment, leaving what they, you know, saying what they thought, and potentially, you know, destroying my self esteem for 24 hours or whatever. Um, So I think if you're feeling a little bit nervous about publishing, self-publishing a book, if you want to keep it just a little more private, a little more secretive, you know, not necessarily put yourself right into the fire of public scrutiny, then, you know, having your own personal website and just selling something directly on your website can be a nice baby step forward uh, rather than going directly to Amazon or one of those big places.
1: I think that's so great because it's true. Like you never know who you're going to get on Amazon. It could be any, there's so many trolls and just to have a little troll fence, I guess, by keeping it on your site.
0: <laughs> I love that. A troll fence. Yes, yeah, exactly. we got you a
1: little troll fence. But I haven't really thought of it that way, that there are ways to kind of baby step it into the, the big pool of uh, even of self-publishing.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm a big fan of baby steps for sure. You know, also different projects just feel different. You know, there are certain projects like I'm working on a book right now, my, my next book project, which... This project feels like this needs to be in Barnes and Noble. This needs to be on Amazon. This is a message that I I truly want to reach millions. And and that's that's that project. But then there are other projects where maybe, you know, maybe it's a collection of letters that is just for your kids to read someday. Or maybe it's just for your partner or your spouse. Or maybe it's just for your clients or your inner circle or, or kind of a little community that gathers around you online. And different projects, I think, have different intended audiences and sort of different destinies in a way. So it's okay to share things in a variety of different ways, depending on what feels right for that project.
1: So what is it about this next project that makes it feel like it's got to go wide? What's different about it?
0: Uh, About a year ago or so, uh, I decided very spontaneously, this is a theme in my life, apparently, to help my boyfriend, Brandon, to open his first restaurant, which is a brunch restaurant here in Portland, where we live, called Honey Milk. And, you know, like many creative projects, I thought it would be so easy and fun and romantic and wonderful. And and it was. But um, running a restaurant is hard and it's not for the faint of heart. And what happened was a few months after we opened, I mean, we had been working so hard. You cannot even imagine, you know, waking up at four in the morning, staying until 6 p.m., washing hundreds of dishes by hand. I mean, it was grueling and humbling and difficult and, and just everything was on a shoestring So after all of that hard work, um, a couple months went by and we got our very first horrible Yelp review. So I remember going home and seeing this Yelp review for our baby restaurant. And this woman just hated our food and she hated everything about it. And she was really mean and just like, I mean, really like above and beyond the call of duty. It was a really cruel review. And I remember reading it over and over in kind of an obsessive fashion and, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And of course it didn't matter that like, you know, 99 other customers were so happy. Like this was the one review that I was obsessing over and I couldn't stop thinking about it. Anyway, long story short, that experience actually inspired me to, to write about it. Like I wanted to write that story. And I was, I was also curious about, you know, what is it about criticism or public humiliation or negative reviews or you know these kinds of setbacks that, that things that feel like setbacks in our careers why do they get under our skin so much and also how do other people deal with this kind of stuff like are there other people out there who have tools that I don't have or who can bounce back with more resilience like I want to learn how to be a stronger person the kind of person who doesn't like go into a tailspin every time there's a negative Yelp review so I started to interview people and I started to talk to people from all different professions and all different walks of life and all different careers and ages and backgrounds, basically just asking them, can you tell me about, you know, the most discouraging, awful moment in your career that you can remember, whether it was a terrible review or public humiliation or getting bullied online or whatever it was, and how did you get through it? How did you survive? What did you learn?
1: Oh my God. So
0: I... Yeah, I collected I cannot the wait stories. for this book. Oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. So it, what started as kind of a, you know, a, a small ebook was what I was envisioning, just became so much bigger. And it kind of took on a life of its own. And I decided to seek a literary agent and try to, you know, pursue a, tra- a traditional path for that book. Um, it's called You're Going to Survive. And I really love it. And I feel like in in these uh, sort of troubled, discouraging times that we're having, you know, nationally and politically, I think a lot of people are feeling scared. I think a lot of people are feeling discouraged. I think a lot of people you know, wonder if it's worth it to pursue a dream or a creative project, because there's a risk of so much, you know, shame and bullying and mockery and discouragement. And I just want to tell people it is worth it and you'll survive it. And, you know, here are 50 other people who have survived it too. So because of the times that we're in and because of the message that that book holds, I just feel like it, it, it is intended for a, a more mainstream and wider audience.
1: Yeah. I can think of anybody. I think we should just blast that one out to everybody because I think <laughs> it, it. there is a kind of a creative fear that's set in at the moment. And I think it's important to remember that everything keeps going and everything changes.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, the fear is very understandable and justified. You know, there, I have a client uh, just this, just this week who uh, went to Washington to march in the Women's March on her inauguration weekend and got hate mail from people in her community because of things that she said and what she was wearing and, and what, I mean, the the fear of, of bullying, of criticism, of disappointment, discouragement, like that's a real and valid fear. Um, so it's not like don't worry, everything will be fine. Like sometimes things are not fine. Sometimes you do get a piece of hate mail. Sometimes you do get bullied online. Sometimes you do get a negative Yelp review or whatever. But I think we can all find ways to cope a little better and to be more resilient. And most of all, just not to give up, you know, not to give up on our projects and not to just say, well, that's it. I quit. Um, Because then it's sort of like the the bullies win in a way.
1: Yeah, we don't want that. It is I think that there is that moment, though, when you're faced with something really scary, where you just kind of want to curl up in bed and not come back out again with whatever it is you were doing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's okay, too. You know, I think we all have days where we just have to sort of like curl up with Netflix and a box of pizza and like cry for 10 hours. And that's part of being a human being. But at a certain point, it's time to like, dust the pizza crumbs off your off your shirt <laughs> and start writing again or start sharing again or get back out there or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, that just feels like such a big message that I want to share right now. And uh, with everything that I create, uh, this sounds very cliche, but I, I always think to myself, if I can help one person, like if one person buys this book and, and really feels something and, and is it motivated to not give up, that's that's everything. I mean, that's the whole point of why we write, I think, is to make other people's lives just a little bit better.
1: Yeah. And that's a nice concept that that comes through in, so this is the end of the character who's a daymaker, which I loved that concept of her yeah. ability to try to make everyone's day just a little bit better.
0: I love that concept too. Um, that was, it's a real concept that even though it's in a fictional book, that is from a guy named David Wagner, who is a hairstylist. He actually is part of a hairstylist and also entrepreneur, I should say, because he was a big part of uh, the Aveda company and the jute salons and things like that. And kind of by by accident, I discovered him and his salons and his philosophy back when I was living in Minneapolis years ago. And his whole idea of being a daymaker is this idea that the little things that you do, like just listening to someone or being kind to someone when you don't necessarily have to be, or tipping someone an extra dollar or whatever, these little actions can really have a very surprising and powerful ripple effect. And by doing something so small, um, you really can make someone's day, maybe even change someone's day or even change someone's life. And I love that philosophy. And I think it applies so beautifully to writing projects of all kinds, because You know, once you hit send or publish or upload your project or whatever, you just never know who's going to find it, who's going to be affected by it. Um, The words that you say can really help someone to feel less alone and, you know, potentially really change someone's life in a big or small way.
1: It is. It's like there's no way it's out of your control once it's gone. It's going out on the town. It's having its own experience. And actually, it's interesting. I wanted to share that one of your books, your Q&A book, my husband and I bought it when we were still dating and we loved doing that book so much and we told a friend of mine about it and she and her boyfriend started doing it and now they're married and everybody loves that book. So Oh,
0: that's so awesome to hear. That makes me so happy.
1: <laughs> yeah, because it's such a beautiful thing. It's just a QA and a journal for anyone who hasn't seen it and it's for couples. So you or you could even do it with a friend. I mean, it's just for two people, but they have questions sort of prompts and you just respond to the prompt every day and you can come back to it because it's not just for one year, you can return I think for three years. And they're such sweet little prompts and it really it, they spark conversation and insight in the other person that I, I don't know if you would always find it otherwise.
0: Yeah, I love that project so much and there's kind of a funny story of how that came about, which I think is a good story that illustrates how you just never know what's going to happen when you, you know, take a big step. So way back then, this was a couple years ago, uh, I had a literary agent, she's now retired, but at the time she had uh, my book project, which is called 50 Ways to Say You're Awesome, which was a collection of thank you notes and and kind of cute, fun, illustrated notes to tell someone how awesome they are. So she's trying to sell that project and she pitched it to, I think she pitched it to Potter Style, which is a division of Random House and Crown. And the folks at Potter Style looked at my proposal and they basically said to my agent at the time, um, you know, we think, we think Alexandra's got a fun voice. You know, we like what she's about. We don't really think that her project is right for us. However, We have this series of Q&A journals that we want to expand, and we're actually looking to hire someone to write new questions for the journal that we're doing for couples, and would Alexander be interested in that project? So my agent came back to me and said, you know, hey, what do you think about this? And I was like... Obviously, yes, like questions for couples to answer together and love stories. And I mean, I was like, oh, my God, it's like a dream. So the whole thing came about, like, very surprisingly. I wasn't trying to get that gig, so to speak. But I found that, you know, in in publishing and in life, you know, you never know what one email could unlock or, you know, you pitch one client and they're not interested in what you're selling, but maybe they want something different that's even better than anything you thought of yourself. I mean, there's so many funny tendrils and, and different directions that things ways that things can go. So that's something I really love and that I I try to remind myself and to stay open to, especially when things aren't necessarily going the way that I want them to. Um, I try to remind myself, you know, something better is coming or something different is coming or just stay open, stay flexible. You never know what's on the other side of that next email or phone call.
1: Yeah, especially since you have expanded into so many aspects of the genre, like you've written novels, you've written nonfiction, you wrote the Q&A journal, and then you've also ghostwritten, which I'm really interested in how that came to be a part of your arsenal. And how does it relate to the rest of your writing? Yeah, you know, this is something that I've really struggled with
0: a little bit in the past on a personal level, because for a while, there was like a part of my mind that just wanted (laughs) Sort of almost like I wanted to do just one thing or I wanted to be an expert at just one thing and have like a really simple job and job title that people understood and I didn't have to explain myself like I was really envious in some ways of my dad who's an attorney because when he says I'm an attorney or I'm a lawyer like no one is confused and and no one asks any like follow-up questions whereas when I say I'm a writer it's sort of like Oh, well, what do you write? And I'm like, everything. And then they sort of look at me like I'm an idiot or a dabbler or you're not to be trusted or whatever. So it was, it took me some time to arrive at a place where I felt like, you know what, you know, I make money through doing ghostwriting and copywriting for companies. I have fun by doing novels. And sometimes I make money from those too. Um, I have other projects that I do as well. You know, I just sort of had to arrive at a place where I was like, it's okay that I don't do just one thing. It's okay that I have a lot of different projects going on. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I do think that there is a common thread through everything I do, which is that I want to inspire people to be more creative and to make wonderful things and to make the most of the time that they have on the planet. And that's kind of what it all circles down back to. I feel like the thread is there. other people may not see it, but that's okay <laughs> because uh, you know as you pointed out earlier, you can't always control the reaction or response that people have when they meet you or when they see your website or your body of work.
1: It would be nice. I mean, but I think it would also be exhausting. I mean, we talked about with people who design covers. Like you're gonna have to let people decide to read your book or not, you know, when it's out there. You can't just sit on their shoulder and be like, this is really good and this is what I was trying to do. You don't get to do that once it's out there.
0: Totally. And I, I think that's one of the most frustrating things about writing or making any kind of art is like you know, you may have a particular intention or message or vision or whatever. And once it's out there, you know, you just have no control in a way like you never know what someone is going to take away from your project. And that's sort of like the mystery and also the frustration, I think, of being a creative person. You just have to cross your fingers and hope for the best and hope that your message comes across.
1: Let's take a break for a second to talk about our sponsor, Scrivener. I am so excited about the fact that it's not just software that works for fiction, it works for all kinds of writing. So if you're writing a nonfiction project, there are ways to compile pieces if you're writing on a regular basis on a regular project, say for a blog or say putting together a newsletter or an e-course or any other writing project that you might be doing. You can compile your pieces into a little binder and then refer back to it and build over time. So it's a really convenient way to compile lots of documents if you're building a whole collection. So if you're working on something that maybe involves a bunch of pieces, maybe feels like a big stack of stuff that is filed in folders all over your computer, I think Scribner would be a better way to stay organized. You can get 20% off the desktop software at literatureandlatte.com with the code SECRET. Now let's get back to Alex. So what's the most surprising kind of impact that you've heard about that your work has had on somebody? Oh, my gosh. It's um, a really fun question. I, I remember after I wrote my first
0: novel, which was called Milk and Honey, which is basically just like a trashy romance novel, like kind of in the style of, of Fifty Shades of Grey. I I released it on my website on Gumroad. And you know, I just had no idea. I'd never released any fiction work before. I had no idea what people would think or say if they'd be like, what is wrong with you? You're so weird. Um, Especially that it was, you know, sexy and racy and lots of sex scenes and stuff like that. It did. It had a really lovely positive response, though, which was awesome. Um, But I'll never forget this one email I got from a woman who basically said to me that she got so turned on that she like, It was something like she left her job early, she went home, she like had tons of sex with her husband, and it was like super awesome, and like it just, you know, she told me this whole saga, and I was like, whoa, that's a lot of information, but I'm like so happy that it (laughs) inspired you in that way. Um, I had people telling me that my book inspired them to, like, masturbate and have tons of orgasms. And I was like, whoa, okay, also lots of information, but super great. Um, so sometimes the the reactions are just, like, hysterical and wonderful. And, and you know, I think when, when you're sort of vulnerable and out there with your writing, then it gives permissions for your fans and readers to be sort of vulnerable and out there with their reactions. And they feel like they can be honest with you, which is really wonderful. I've had some some lovely responses to my newest novel, So This Is the End. I've had a lot of people say it made them cry. I've had a lot of people say, you know, something to the effect of, I'm really thinking about how I spend my time a lot more now, or I went home and I made sure that I, I kissed my husband and I cuddled my puppy and I'm just really grateful that I'm not dead today and, you know, things to that effect. So it's always so exciting to get that kind of response. Um, I think it's I do remember, though, you know, back in the early, early days of being a writer, um, you know, it's it can be so hard and so disheartening when you when you put so much energy into something and then you don't really get a response or it feels like no one is reading or it feels like you're writing in a vacuum and like only your mom cares about your blog sometimes or whatever. So. Um, To anyone who is kind of currently in that situation, my advice to you is just, I mean, honestly, just keep marching along. You just have to keep going because the only way you are going to connect with fans and readers and subscribers and, and build a little community around you is if you keep putting your stuff out there. You can't just do nothing and have that magically happen. So even if it feels like no one is listening right now, First of all, that may not actually be true. You may have a lot of people who are affected by your work, but just don't necessarily email you to tell you about it. And secondly, you just have to keep going. And that's so hard, but it's so important, I feel.
1: Another thing I think about getting your work out in the world that I wanted to ask you about is you have a much lighter, I guess, or more hands-off relationship to social media than a lot of writers and I think it's been really interesting that you've been really thoughtful about it and really evaluated your relationship to it. Because I think there's all this pressure now for creative people, like you got to put it out there all the time. And how have you balanced putting your work out there with not doing it maybe the same way as everyone else? Several
0: years ago, I actually deactivated all my social media accounts. So I don't use social media at all anymore Um, And that was a very difficult but important decision for me. And I've actually written about that decision and kind of what led up to it and what happened and how it felt on my website. Um, It's so funny. I actually, (laughs) I got a letter in the mail today from a teenager at a high school somewhere who was really mad about what I said about social media. I don't think they actually read my article because they sort of misunderstood what I was trying to say. but they wrote me a letter to say that how social media is great and it can lead to so many opportunities and how dare I, you know, say that people shouldn't use it. Uh, it was really funny. Anyway, I'm not saying people shouldn't use it. I think social media is amazing. Uh, but for me, it always felt a little bit like this distraction or kind of a time suck or, you know, I've noticed myself getting into slightly obsessive patterns with it, you know, kind of getting very preoccupied and obsessed with how many people were following or retweeting or what was happening. So I found that for me personally, it just felt healthier to completely step away from social media. And, you know, again, not saying that's the right or the necessary choice for everyone. I do think we could all maybe examine our relationships with social media and, you know, be a little more intentional. But for me personally, stepping away felt right. And initially I did it just for a month, kind of as an experiment that felt really good. I noticed that my brain just felt a little more clear. I didn't feel quite as, you know, obsessive. I didn't, um, it was almost like there was like a, you know, like if you have a refrigerator that's broken and it's like humming and you sort of become accustomed to it and you don't even notice that it's humming, but then suddenly one day somebody fixes it and you're like, oh, that's what quiet sounds like. Like, that's nice. So that's kind of how I felt in my brain after I removed social media. It was like this hum was gone and it felt really good. And then, you know, six months went by and then a year and now I don't know how long it's been, maybe two years. And I noticed that nothing bad happened. You know, my my friends are still my friends. I still get invited to parties um you know my my business was not affected uh, if anything things have improved uh i you know my my readership has gone up my newsletter subscribers have gone up like none of the terrible awful things that i was afraid might happen if i stopped tweeting happened so you know again i'm not saying that this is the right choice for every business or every author you know i think that there are wonderful ways to use social media to promote your work and to to get hired or whatever it is that you want to do. However, it is optional. And there are other ways to get your work out there and to, you know, build a reputation and build a community that this isn't like something that I think people forget often is like social media has been around for 10 years, like there have been businesses and books long before that, (laughs) you know, like people have figured out ways to, get messages distributed even before we had Twitter and Instagram. So it's not a, um, it's not mandatory. It's a lovely tool, but it's optional. That's my personal perspective.
1: No, I think you're right. And I think it's good to remember, even if you choose to continue to use it, to not feel trapped by using it. Yeah, definitely. I think so many people, especially if they're trying to share books, products,
0: services, et cetera, online, Um, they they do social media almost out of a sense of obligation. Like I have to schedule my tweets or like I have to talk about my product or whatever. And it just becomes such drudgery for them or they feel so stressed about it. You know, like, oh, is this, did I craft this tweet in such a way that people will buy my book right now? Like it just becomes so stressful. And so, you know, the, the people that I see using social media really well and, you know, having wonderful success with it are the people who approach it You know, like an art project, really, and who have fun with it, and who express themselves, and it's it's not so quite so stressed out for them, Um, and that can be really fun to see. You know, there are people who love social media and do it so beautifully, and if that's the case for you, and it's it's a genuinely, you know, delightful part of your life and your day, then go for it. Like that's a great thing to do.
1: So. Are you primarily, you're you're writing amazing posts because you have great posts on your blog, and it's a huge resource, which we'll link to in the show notes, and then you have an amazing mailing list. Are those your primary ways of getting stuff out there at this point?
0: Yeah, at this point, that's all I do. In the past, you know, years ago, I, I used Twitter for a little while. I dabbled with Instagram for just a couple of months. I think I had a Facebook profile for like one day or something like that. And then I was like, ooh, this could be a dark addiction for me. So no thanks. Um, So, you know, I've I've kind of sprinkled around social media here and there. But these days, yeah, it's just my website. You can get on my mailing list. And I do have a section of my website that is, you know, essentially a blog where I post new essays, new articles, things like that. Um, And just recently, I created a new section of my site that's kind of like a free section where I have free worksheets and free coloring sheets and just kind of additional stuff that maybe doesn't necessarily belong on my blog, but that I I just want to share and and have out there for people. So that's basically it. And, you know, people either discover my website or they don't. And I'm not really, um, preoccupied with like obsessively marketing myself, as much as humanly possible. Like I'm I'm satisfied with what's going on right now.
1: That's awesome. I will say during your very brief stint on Instagram that I did read Rhonda Rousey's biography based on your recommendation and really loved it.
0: That's so rad. I loved that book and I think she's so inspiring. Um I know she's having a very difficult moment in her career right now, but I'm still a super fan for life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine's actually one of her trainers, which is so crazy. Um, So I have to, I have to ask him about what's going on, but I was so, I was kind of shocked by how inspired I was by that book because it's so different. Like I am possibly the farthest thing from a multi mixed martial arts fighter you could imagine, but the perseverance and kind of the stamina that she shows in that anyway, I wanted to thank you for that recommendation.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: I'm wondering what you're reading now that you really love. Oh, that's such a great question.
0: I love talking about things that I'm reading. That's one of the questions I always ask other people, too. I want to know what you're reading. Um, oh, yeah. So recently, I think because of, of Trump's inauguration um, and other things, I was feeling like I really just needed a bit of levity in my life and some lightheartedness and some silliness. I actually had a couple of days where I was just feeling really, really depressed about the state of the world. And then I remembered the band from the nineties in sync, which you may recall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of went down like an internet rabbit hole of in sync music videos and interviews and every, and I just was like loving it. I just started literally started dancing around my apartment. Uh, my boyfriend was like laughing hysterically. We just sort of like lost our minds and had like an in sync night. And then after that, I was like, Lance Bass, the member of NSYNC who came out as gay a few years ago, I was like, did he ever write a memoir or like a celebrity autobiography? Because if so, I want to read it. And it turns out he did. And it's called Out of Sync, a memoir. Perfect title. title. I know. So I downloaded a sample uh, on Kindle. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. So then I downloaded the whole thing. And it's just everything you would Want. It's just it's totally just kind of like fluffy and wonderful. And he just kind of tells the story of his childhood and how he got into NSYNC and what that was like. So, you know, if you're looking for just a pure diversion <laughs> from the world, I highly recommend NSYNC music videos and or the Lance Bass uh, memoir. It's pretty delightful. So that's what I'm reading right now. Uh, after that, I'll probably switch to something, you know, more intellectual and substantive, maybe. Or maybe I'll just read all the InSync memoirs.
1: I know, I'm tempted to just reread all of Harry Potter at the moment. That's yes! It just feels oh, very applicable. I feel like I'm reading like 25 things right now because of reading, wanting to read stuff for the show. So I try to read people's stuff when I'm going to have them on. So I'm reading all of that stuff. But I'm also reading... I just got a book yesterday from the editor. Oh, it's in the other room, so I'm not going to be able to come up with it. But it was about making a living as a writer from the editor of a um, of a writing magazine, which I will put in the show notes. So I'm reading that one. And then I try to read another volume. This sounds so pretentious, but I actually really do love reading it. I try to read another volume of Proust's In Search of Lost Time every January. Mm-hmm. So, I haven't been doing as well this month because my concentration is a little lower with the news and everything going on. I'm about halfway through that. and then I'm reading the second in V e. Schwab's series um, Shades of Magic because the third one is coming out, and she's coming on the show. So I've been reading that and I've been really loving those books. They're very Ooh. they're very escapist. It's like there's three I think there's at least three, there may be four. Let's see, there's red, white, gray, and black. Now there's four Londons. So there's four parallel worlds in the books, and they center geographically. They all have the same London in the same location, but each of them has a different relationship to magic. So one of them there is magic. One of in gray London, there isn't magic, you know, in so they all have sort of different stuff. So and then there are some people who can pass between worlds, and it's this whole process of like the ramifications of this. Um So it's super, it's sort of sci-fi, but it's also kind of a mystery, but it's also kind of suspense. So I'm really into that right now too. It's called Shades of Magic. Yeah. That's the series. And I believe that's also the name of the first book, but Um, her name is Schwab, and it has the most beautiful covers. They're like white with very graphic treatments with black and red. And it's, it's pretty cool.
0: That literally sounds like my new obsession. I'm so excited. <laughs> I love books about magic and fantasy and sci-fi and, you know, anything that kind of transports you to another world. Um, I, I really am, am in awe of writers who can, who can build a world uh, that's not just like contemporary Minneapolis or something
1: like that. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know how. I mean, I talked to her about how she did it, and it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, the whole building that and making it cohesive. It's it's very I'm totally in awe of that. It's phenomenal. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I've
0: been looking for kind of a new series that I can get really jazzed about. So that sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, and then the third book uh is out in February. So you'll be able to go all the way through it. You won't have to wait like two years in the middle or anything like that. Oh, thank God, that's the worst. I know, I hate you're like, Oh, I love it, and I gotta wait two years. Yay tragic terrible (laughs) so yeah that one is definitely fun and distracting and but just has a little bit of dealing with with darkness and moving through it which Mm. is always helpful yes definitely so what would you say is your number one inspiration like as you're working on this book about you will get through this like have you had any like aha moment just to to leave people with Oof, you know, it's yeah, new. I know you're still cooking on it.
0: It's it's new. I I've got about I'd say about half of it is written, maybe a little more than half. Uh, you know, I had to put together essentially some sample materials for my book proposal, so that, you know, forced me to get my ducks in a row in a way. Um, one thing that I've definitely learned is that we all have our own ways of dealing with discouragement and criticism, and there's no one right way. You know, for for some of the people I interviewed, they really need to take a day to like hide under the covers and watch Netflix and just kind of zone out and and do some sort of, you know, healing slash time before they're ready to march back into the world again. For other people, it's, you know, vomiting all of their emotions into a journal for 45 minutes until they've sort of, you know, purged themselves in a way. Um, You know, for other people, it's sort of personal development techniques, self-coaching, things of that nature. For other people, It's, uh, you know, they they just have to call someone that they love and be like, tell me that I'm amazing right now because the Internet hates me or whatever. Um, So we all have our own different ways. And I, I think it's just a matter of figuring out what works for you and, you know, finding that little spark inside of you that is braver and stronger than all of the darkness out there um, because we all have that spark inside of us. Uh, there's, there's this amazing quote that I found. I can't remember who said it, but I'll, I'll send it to you. Maybe you can put it in your show notes. That was something like, there is something inside of you that is stronger than any obstacle. And I do believe that that's true. I think we all have that, that thing, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, grit or, or spirit or soul or God or whatever, like, There is that something inside of each of us that is stronger than the meanest blog comment or the biggest setback that allows us to get through those moments and and find the courage to keep going. Um, So just trusting that you do have that within you and you can find it. Um, And then as as you've said a couple of times in this episode, that that the world does want and need whatever it is that you want to share and that it's important um, to add that to the world.
1: Yeah, I hope, I hope everyone does. So thank you so much for, for coming out and talking to us about this. You've definitely left our day brighter.
0: Oh, thanks. This was so much fun. Uh, I don't do podcasts very often, but I, I just love talking to you and you ask such interesting questions. And um, yeah, it was just a
1: total pleasure. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit SecretLibraryPodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit CarolineDonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon
0: Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash Ad-Free
1: lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.